Alrighty, alrighty. Welcome, welcome back. This is the Red Bull Podcast. Risk made me do it. I'm your host, Andreas Georges. We're talking to top performers in the worlds of sports, culture, tech, and innovation. Trying to understand the path that they took to the success, the hurdles that they had to overcome on that path, the risks they took. And in doing so, maybe we recalibrate your own understanding of risk and uh, what it takes to push through to the other side. And today we got a prime example of that. A woman named Kim Chambers who was almost, well, she almost lost her leg in a freak accident and then was able to rebound from that to become one of the top open water swimmers in the world in just eight short years. She's a very definition of risk. And last year became the first woman to swim the treacherous passage between the Farallon Islands through a little something called the Red Triangle, which is as sketchy as it sounds. It's where uh, 38% of shark attacks in the United States happen. She swam through that to the San Francisco Bay, a 30-mile passage. You know, she's a prime candidate for this subject of risk. We talked about, you know, kind of pushing through to the other side with her. Uh, We talked to her about why she loves living on that edge so much, um, the rewards that it's given her, the complete outlook change it's provided her. And uh, we also recorded this podcast in the South End Rowing Club. Um, I went up there with uh, our social content guru, Nicole, don't call me Steve Buscemi, and our new Generation Z representative, Carly, don't be so stern. And we recorded some really great auxiliary kind of video content around uh, Kim. You can see the beauty that is the South End Rowing Club um, on the shores of the San Francisco Bay. And if you hear a foghorn or seagulls in the background, that's the reason why. So, you know, let's get right into it with her, uh, Kim Chambers. All right, see you on the other side. Most would be satisfied with that, you know, with just having a wonderful routine, with with starting the day in the bay, with seeing the sunrise over the city when there is sun to rise over a city, <laughs> when it's not covered in fog. Um, but you want much more than that. You go to places that are very yeah. dangerous. Yeah. Um, why is this not enough? I think because I'm continually experimenting with what is possible for myself and for me there's something so fulfilling about pushing that edge just a little bit further um you know when I first got in the bay here in December of 2009 that was my first time in the bay I thought that was enough for me I mean that just it it was so adventurous I couldn't believe I was out here in the bay um I was probably 120 pounds soaking wet I was so skinny but it just it, it touched something inside me and then you do another swim and you swim longer and then you look back and you're like, well, if I can do that, yeah. maybe I can do that. Um, so it, it's, it's intoxicating. So when did you leave New Zealand? I left New Zealand when I was 17. Why? Yeah, I got into UC Berkeley. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so you yeah. went to Cal for the four I years I and did. then you dug it enough to stick around here. Yeah, I actually rode for a couple of years at okay. Cal. Um, I wasn't very good. <laughs> right. They have a good rowing team, though, don't they? Yeah, but I was, this was 95 and 96. Okay. My brother was actually there as well. He was on a rowing scholarship, and, you know, they were like, well, you're tall, you're coordinated, and you've got, you know, these great genes, because my brother's a great rower, and we're going to put you in the boat. And 
uh, it was a bit of a shock to the system. Yeah. But I studied at Cal, graduated, uh, and then went back for my master's. Okay. And then, you know... Which was in what? Uh, it was a master's of science in human-computer interaction. Right, okay. Yes. But Which is a very current thing to study back then, I imagine. Right. But I didn't know who I was then. You need a new identity. So how did you find it? Right. Um, I, you know, I was, I guess, I was in search of that. And yeah. it wasn't until everything changed in my life when I had a freak accident. And I think up to that point, I was seeking fulfillment and purpose in other things, like striving for a master's degree. Like, I learned how to code. Right. <laughs> Right. Like, who was I? But yeah. applying myself and, and going for some goal and not really, but not really thinking about why I was going for that goal. Right, right, right. Um, but, it, you know, that's sort of the journey that it's, it's been. Sure. I mean, it's a journey everyone, I think a lot of people make in their 20s as well, and they're, they're trying to figure something out. But, I mean, you alluded to it already. What, yeah. what happened when yeah. you were 30? So, yeah, I was so afraid of turning 30. Okay. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was 30's so... 30's great. I know. I no? wish I could go back to that. <laughs> I've just turned 40. Right. <laughs> I'm on the other side now. But, yeah, I was so afraid of turning 30. Yeah. And then, literally, a few weeks after my birthday, I was on my way to work. I was doing some freelance work. And at the time, I... You know, I've said this before. I was living a pretty superficial life. I was making pretty decent living I would wear these really really high heels to work I thought I looked fabulous yeah. <laughs> and I tripped I was going down the staircase where I lived with my boyfriend at the time and I basically my heel got caught in my pantsuit and I just careened down the staircase I hit my head and I hit my right leg with such force that I ended up being diagnosed with a condition called acute compartment syndrome so it's from blunt force trauma to a, a limb but I didn't realize it at the time, and they have since studied me and uh, reaffirmed the fact that I have a very high pain tolerance. So my leg is swelling. I don't realize how bad it is until I've... Because you're also a ballerina. <laughs> yeah, and so like, the show must fine. go on. Right? The show must go on, right? I, uh, I try and ice it. It's swelling. And then, basically, I have no recollection until I've woken up in a hospital bed this is my leg right here. It was swollen like four to five inches out each side of my calf. They had sliced me on my right side and my left side of my leg. And I was lying there with two big gaping holes on each side of my leg because they had to cut through the fascia, which protects your muscles and it doesn't give. So they basically, my leg was dying. So there was no um, oxygen getting through my leg. My peroneal nerve was damaged. It still is damaged today. And... I'm waking up and they're telling me, you know, we've saved your leg, but we don't know what, if any, functionality you'll ever have. And um, that was pretty devastating to, to go from, you know, you expect it to be some, you don't expect your life to change like that. Um, and here I was in a hospital bed and they're telling me basically that I'm not going to walk unassisted again. Um, and that, uh, that was pretty much a defining moment in my life um, that set the course for the rest of my journey because I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I was, I was like, this is not going to be my life. So your first reaction was 
this is I'm going to change this. Yes, this is not going to be my life. Absolutely. It wasn't. It wasn't. I feel sorry. I've, I've, no. This is it. And no. This is just fate. And I, I mean, honestly speaking, like I felt like I was on that sort of precipice of where I could have gone down a very deep dark hole, yeah. but I, I knew in that moment I was like, this is not going to be my life. I'd never even sprained my ankle up until that point, you know, um, and I felt pretty invincible. And here I was, completely incapacitated, with my leg elevated huge gaping holes where the nurses are literally taking gauze that they had soaked in this um, I don't know what the name of it was but it smelt like bleach and they would be packing this gauze that they'd soaked in bleach in the two cavities on either side of my leg um, because the risk of infection was so high so then I had all these hyperbaric treatments to pump oxygen into the wound and then um, you know they couldn't sew me back up so they had to take a skin graft from my thigh and you can see my upper thigh here I've got this like six by seven inch um, scar where they took skin and they patched me up I was gonna say it looks like someone ripped off a really large band-aid and it hasn't healed yeah <laughs> yeah that's what it looked like <laughs> a yeah. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah or like a really like nouveau yeah. tattoo style yeah like no ink just yeah, it's skin, just a perfect square. Exactly. But I have to say that being the superficial me back then, yeah. I was most horrified about my scars. Just oh. horrified. Absolutely horrified. Um, you know, and then it was just like, well, what, what is my life now? You know, I'm at home, I'm completely incapacitated, I need someone to help me literally go to the bathroom. What was the, what was the recovery time? It took me two years to walk in. So I, my full-time job was physical therapy. I went four days a week for four and a half hours every single week. And, um, you know, where you're doing exercises, you're lying on a bench and they're like, okay, Kim, move your right foot to the right. And it could only move like half an inch to the right and then move it to the left and it's half an inch to the left. And I can't even begin to explain how frustrating that is when you are literally standing at the bottom of a mountain that is so high and you don't even know how you're going to get there. Um, but I learned that through consistency, just keep plugging away and you may not see the top, but um, eventually, you know, you'll get there. And So it was just, it was results, yeah. however small. Yeah. But yeah. how do you recognize that those results are significant? Because you're thinking of yeah. top of the mountain. You're like, I need to get up there like yeah. yesterday. Yeah. And... And, I had no other all choice. I'm, all I'm able to do is this today, yeah. you know? I had no other choice. I had no other choice. I was not... I, I knew if I looked back, that was a life of being disabled, of being incapacitated, of feeling sorry for myself. And I'm the last person to ask for help. I've, well, I've learned through my swimming career to ask for help. But at that point, the thought of, like, being vulnerable and, and needing to ask someone to help me was just... That was just not going to happen. So... And I'm pretty stubborn. <laughs> so I knew that I had no other choice but to fix this. And, um, and that, was, that was my life. That was my full-time job. And, you know, it's not to say there weren't some really awful moments along the way where right. you are just exasperated. And, you know, I, I, I definitely withdrew from my life because I didn't want, didn't want anyone else to see me disabled. I didn't want to be labeled as other. And um, and that's basically, I just hid myself away for two years. Were you still in San Francisco? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, and I had a boyfriend at the time and my mum came out from New Zealand and, 
you know, my, my family were so supportive and then my friend group really was the specialists that were looking after me. I was going to a nerve specialist, I was going to a plastic surgeon, I was going to my physical therapy. Like my, every day there was an appointment to go deal with something to do with my leg and I was on all these pain meds, um, which I eventually went off cold turkey. I don't necessarily recommend that method, but um, Why, that was that, like a scene out of train spotting. It wasn't really. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Shivering in a corner. Like, <laughs> Pretty much. But it was the best thing I did for me because, you know, um, I, I was still in pain until just a few years ago. I, I would still get nerve pain. It was like needles going into me constantly. Um, and so you're, you're just, and pain is, is, um, is tiring. Pain is really hard to deal with. When you're in constant pain, um, it doesn't make you feel very good. So it's not to say that I didn't have some really tough moments because I did. But I was so determined to put my life back together. Um, but along the way, I learned, I learned who I am. I learned what matters most in life. And I discovered swimming. And I now say that that accident was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I hope that everyone who has some sort of traumatic injury can one day look back and say, you know what, that it happened for a reason. Yeah. You know, it sounds so cliched, right. but I fundamentally believe that because it, it changed the course of my life. And um, yeah. As you were always disciplined, how, how was it, um, how are you different now than you were even before? I'm still disciplined. Right, right. <laughs> I'm still disciplined, but I, um, I'm definitely not superficial. I, uh, I definitely have um, an appreciation for for everything that the, my my body and my mind can do for me. Back then, I didn't didn't appreciate what my body could do for me. Um, I took it for granted because I felt invincible, and and then also really just the sense of gratitude because my swimming journey has you know taken me um, to places I never thought I could possibly go mentally and physically and the secret to all of that has been that I haven't done it alone um, there have been this amazing community you know here especially in San Francisco the Dolphin Club and the South End Rowing Club of these open water swimmers who don't think any idea is too crazy and then the, 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 the really amazing friends that I have in my life that have helped me along the way and have encouraged me and yeah my heart is really really yeah. full that's excellent and I feel like I know why I'm here I feel that I have purpose and um, and it's an amazing feeling and I just want to share it with everybody right that's that's part of the magic too is there something about endurance swimming that you were attracted to that that was different than just you know doing a couple laps in the pool. I mean, what yeah. what was it about specifically that kind of discipline that attracted to you? Yeah, I think I realized that the more I pushed myself and the more uncomfortable I was through pushing myself, I actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> I um, I get bored really really easily, and I I need to feel like. I'm, I'm striving for something. I need to feel like I'm, I'm constantly pushing myself. And right. I don't know that that's entirely sustainable. <laughs> um, hope I'm still saying that at 80. But um, I've realized that, you know, when you approach something that you're terrified of, 
um, because I have been absolutely terrified on many of my swims. Um, I'm not this person who's just like, oh yeah, that doesn't bother me. Genuinely terrified to actually commit to that, to face it and to push through where you are, you don't know if you're coming back alive and where you're, you know you're going to be so uncomfortable, you know you're going to be in so much pain. There's a boat just 10 yards to your left and all you need to do, the temptation is always there to quit because all you have to do is touch the boat. The rules of marathon and water swimming, if you touch the boat, have any contact with your crew, you're disqualified. So to, to be able to train your mind to ignore that and to look forward and to see your end point of where you're heading, um, I've just found that's been really personally fulfilling. A lot of it is completely mad, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, Are you comfortable with risk? I mean, was that something that was always uh, something that you... You didn't. You, I mean, maybe you considered it previously, but the the kind of swimming you're doing now, where you're doing very treacherous passages and everything. I mean, the stakes are raised yeah. for you in a way that that they've never been in your life previous, right? Absolutely. So, how have you learned to harness the fear? How have you learned to befriend? Is there is it such a thing as befriending risk, even? Or yeah, you... I think friend is your, you know, your friend is fear. Right. Um, and I guess I've I've learned to make it my friend because. I know that on the other side um, is this is the is the real treasure in all of this because you know these swims are not just athletic events. They are these journeys where you are pushing your mind and your body to places that you didn't think you could go. Um, so being able to know that when you get to the other side, you're not going to get a gold medal, you're not going to get a cash prize, but you're going to get this little nugget, this little treasure of accomplishment that nobody can take away from you. Nobody, you have that for you for the rest of your life and you carry that with you through all your experiences in life because life is not this linear journey. There are a lot of ups and downs and to be able to take these experiences with you, um, it's given me a lot of perspective in my life, I say my life on land. You know, you realize not to get upset over something that really truly does not matter. Um, And so, and also focus, by the yeah. way, like, I yeah. mean, because, yeah. you know, one of the, the first thing I think about when you think of your long swims, is just the monotony of it. Yeah. I mean, I ask the same thing of hundred mile runners, you yeah. know, the guys who do ultra marathons. It's yeah. like, how do you overcome that? Yeah. Yeah. How well, you, you, you just sort of get into this flow um, and, you know, your mind is telling you you can't do it. Your mind is telling you you're cold. Your mind is telling you like the, all you have to do is get on that boat and you're done and all the pain and all the, the cold that you're feeling will go away. But to be able to train yourself to, to, to compartmentalize and to put that, uh, that temptation aside and to focus, um, I don't know, it, it's something that has, I've always been able to apply with my swims and um, even when I have been absolutely terrified. And I have to admit though that, you know, I, I, I have, for me personally, I have pushed that boundary um, and I ha- I'm trying to figure out where where that boundary ends because um, I have taken some risks um, but I'm not on a death wish right <laughs> I love my life um, but I'm, I'm I find that edge so uh, alluring mm. I, I can't quite articulate how much that I'm drawn to it yeah and I wasn't like that. I wasn't like that growing up. You weren't. No, I you was. You weren't the daredevil. No, 
I was the girl that sat in the front of the class. Yeah, <laughs> I was the yeah. good girl, yeah. straight A student. Right. Um, you know, I, I never had to be told, you know, as a kid to like clean my room or do my yeah. homework. Like, I, that was just the person I was. And I'm, I guess I still do my homework <laughs> for these projects. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, I wasn't a risk taker. Right. And I, I feel in many ways like a completely different person. And it's weird. It's really weird. <laughs> Let's talk about the moment you kind of defined that it wasn't enough to swim here in the bay and yeah. to do it as part of like therapy and physical rehabilitation. Yeah. Uh, the moment you said, I want to do like a crazy open, yeah. open water swim. Um, when was that oh, and, yeah. and what was it all about for you? It's funny you ask that question. I know exactly when that was. Uh, February of 2011, I was introduced to Vito Biala and... Um, our late friend John Matthews and they invited me to swim with them and I think they well they've told me that they thought that I was this really great swimmer because I had this sort of physique you know um, I got in the bay here and I was just hundreds of yards behind them my stroke was terrible Vito said at the time that I couldn't swim my way out of a paper bag with flippers on and he was totally right I was a terrible swimmer but he it just takes one person to believe in you, yeah. and he believed in me, and he invited me to crew for the swim that they were trying to do. They were trying to do the, a relay swim from the Golden Gate Bridge to the Farallon Islands. So the Farallon Islands lie 30 miles off the coast of Northern California, and they lie smack dab in the middle of what's called the Red Triangle. So mile for mile, this has the largest concentration of great white sharks anywhere in the world. Um, it's not shark infested, it's shark inhabited. It's their living room. Um, but Vito thought it was a good idea to go for a swim through this region. Right. <laughs> uh, but for charity. Uh, so Night Train raises money for Navy SEAL Foundation, Semper Fi Fund, um, and a number of other veteran organizations. And we went out, and it was, I think we had three unsuccessful attempts because the, the, the we encountered terribly rough conditions, but here we were, like, on the high seas, and I was just like, this is amazing this I just felt alive like the adrenaline is just surging through your body yeah. you know this is crazy you know that you get in that water and there's a possibility you're not going to get out with all your limbs intact so a person dropped out and he invited me to actually join the team uh, and you'd been swimming how long now I'd been swimming for about 15 months and okay, by swimming, so like, I wasn't training in a pool at that time. Wow. Um, so this is like 2000, what, This eight, is 2011. Nine, 2011. 2011. Right and February of 2011. And then we had tried again, um, and that was in May of 2011, and I was the only woman on the team. And I was so nervous. I was so nervous. I, um, I can remember um, one of the guys handing me a handful of these scopolamine I think that's what they're called. They're patches first uh, to prevent seasickness, uh -huh. and it has this like it's this little packet, and it has a, a little picture of an ear and a little dot. So you're supposed to put the little right. it's like a little band aid you put yeah. it behind your ear. Yeah. And I'm like, he's like, put this on. So and you have to wash your hands because you can't get it in your eyes. And so yeah. I go into the into the bathroom on the boat, and I'm like looking at this, and I'm like, well, I've got two ears, so I'm going to put a patch behind each of my ears. Oh yeah, that's not a no, good. No, it's not a good idea. <laughs> I had Could tunnel they, like, inject you. That, that's like double dose. Yeah. Right? I had tunnel vision, um, right. and he and I sort of asked him for advice, and um, 
I was so nervous, and he just looked at me, and he just he just said, just don't fuck it up. And I was like, oh, I can't believe you said that to me. I'm not going to do that. So that was sort of how it started, and I was like, oh my goodness. Um, but we made it. So I was the only woman on the team, um, and uh, one of our teammates, David Holter, slapped the buoy um, just before dusk at the Farallons, and it was the first ever relay swim from the Gonget Bridge to the Farallons. Wow. And what was your, your portion of it? I, I swam two legs. So with a relay swim, there's six swimmers, and you swim hour-long increments. So you swim an hour, and then you've got five hours off while the other five swim. So you rotate, and it's... Do you really, need that? Do you need the five hours off, or that's the rules? So there's okay. six. So All every right. you swim in order of six yeah. swimmers, yeah. Um, and you it's it's basically a game of Russian roulette. <laughs> in what sense? <laughs> yeah, you, well, you just every five hours you're getting in, and you hope that when you get in, you swim and you're able to get out um, intact. Uh, is there? Which sounds strange to say. Which sounds mad. It sounds mad to yeah. say that I would willingly do this. And I can't quite I explain think, that to you. I'm trying to think of the mental gymnastics involved with that. You know, with constantly telling yourself it's going to be okay. Or, or just being comfortable with whatever's going to happen. Well, actually, I've learned that I actually love surrendering to that unknown. So you, for preparing for these swims, you control what you can control. Yeah. Um, but the rest is really... It's just rolling the dice. And I know that sounds like completely crazy. That makes me sound like I'm just this risk taker that doesn't put any thought into this, but that's not it at all. Um, you prepare as much as you can. And then there is, I have to say, it is this exhilarating feeling to just let go. And that's what, the moment you plunge in that water, um, it's just like, I don't know what's gonna happen. And that's thrilling. I know it makes me sound mad, but it actually it's it's uh, something to envy because yeah. I think if you're able to have that mentality in your daily life as well, in your daily interactions, whether it be at work or whether it be you know whatever. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. you, um, you can control what you can control, but then you leave the rest up to fate or what have yes. you um, yeah. that can that must be immensely freeing as well it is it yeah. is and to know that however it turns out is the way it's supposed to turn out um, and I, I know it, it, it does sound weird and even as I'm describing this to you like I can just feel like my whole body just it's like it brings it all back where there's yeah. just this adrenaline is surging through your whole body your, your heart is pumping out of your chest yeah. and you're also, you know, there's also the team dynamic. You're part of a team and you don't want to be the one that lets everyone down. Like, right. how could you get out there, be halfway through a swim and just say, guys, I can't get in the water. Like, I can't have that happen. And especially I was the only woman on that team. You know, it's very important to me to show that women can do this just as well as men. And this sport, interestingly, is, you know, you think of most sports where there's a women's division, there's a men's division. There's no, no such thing in a marathon open water swimming. And I love that. I love that. And it is a playing field that is unpredictable. Are you competitive? Competitive with myself. Yeah. I feel like all competitive yeah. people say that. Yeah. Well, no, it's true because, <laughs> yeah. because you, you're competing with your mind. And that's, that's the part that I just, I love that you... You, of course there are other people doing these swims but you can't compare yourself to them because it's not this 
it's not a closed course. It's not um, it's not a controlled environment. And you know, I've done swims where I've I've swum a lot less time than anyone else, but it was only because of what I got that day. It was what Mother Nature served up to me. But I think that really the competition is 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 competing with your mind when your mind is telling you to give up and your mind is telling you you can't do it and you're always doubting yourself always well i am at least i'm always doubting myself but i like to i guess the competition the competing part is can i do that and then if i can do that well sort of challenging myself um and i don't i don't know where that's going to end um you know i'm working on some stuff right now that can't exactly talk about but um, I'm working on some new adventures and they're risky as well and I don't know where that's gonna go right so tell me about the Farallon swim yeah it um, that place has become this spiritual home for me where um, I, I, I have a longing to go yeah. back there yeah um, and I feel like it is this other home for me because every time I've been out there, you know, we would go out night train, we would go out there on the weekends just to get in the water at the Farallons and you know, come back to work on Monday and people were like, how was your weekend? I was like, oh yeah, I went for a little dip at the Farallons and I've done like this video and there's seals and sea lions just right around me and there's just like dogs, they're like yeah. dog mermaids, but I, I feel accepted yeah. and I feel like I throughout the years of, of, you know, since 2011 and going out there on the weekends with Vito and the team and doing those relays that I paid deference to yeah. those islands. Right. And um, I showed a respect and um, and I was rewarded with a safe passage. So when did you do that? It was in August of 2015. So okay. about a, just 11 months after my North Channel swim. Okay. And... Um, I started training and I didn't really tell anybody because I knew people would think that I was foolish. Um, And I didn't know what state my lungs would be in. How do you train for something like that? You just swim a lot. Yeah. Yeah, you swim a lot. But I had, you know, I was lucky I still had that fitness from, from, you know, the previous swims. Uh, You know, you're doing long swims out here in the bay, eight hours, ten hours. You're training in a pool. Yeah. Eating a lot. Yeah, are you doing a lot of research around about that area, about the conditions, or no? no. So I, um, I, I feel really grateful for the people that I have in my life, and when you put this team together, they are people that are, they're all experts in their different, yeah, um, you know, area of focus. So Vito uh, Biala and David Holsher, they concentrated on the currents. Um, we had the scientists monitoring the shark activity. I had a, uh, a trauma surgeon um, as part of my crew. I had um, my mum <laughs> as sort of um, support and cheerleader. I had my training buddy, Simon Dominguez. So I had this amazing crew and they all focused on the different things that they needed to focus yeah. on and yeah. I, um, they just left the swimming up to me. Okay. But, um, yeah. What, what time in the morning did you start it? I didn't. I, uh, so the night of August 7th, uh, it was a Friday night. I didn't have any plans that night, so yeah. I decided to go to the Farallons. Sure, um, yeah. Yeah. We uh, took the boat out there. So the goal, the, the plan was to swim from the islands to San Francisco. Um, I had thought about swimming 
from San Francisco to the Farallones, but just a few weeks prior, my training partner, Simon Dominguez, had been attempting that swim, and he was circled by a great white shark and had to get out. And that was a pretty sobering moment because, you know, we'd been out there so many times and we'd never had any shark encounters. And he was three miles from finishing, um, but he was bleeding. So you chafe a lot. You know, the salt water is really abrasive. So we put lanolin yeah. um, in those spots where you chafe, like between your legs, under your armpits, behind yeah. your neck. But he'd been in the water for, I think, 18 hours or something like that. So, of course, you're going to have some bleeding. So they think that the shark picked up on that. So that was a very sobering moment because it was it sort of made this all very real. It was no longer this fantasy land, I guess. It was like, this is a reality that could happen to me. And, and people were trying to convince me not to do this one. Um, the scientists had even told me that there had been increased shark activity. And, um, but there's something about setting a goal and um, I'm like a racehorse with blinders, um, I guess, because it's like, I'm just, you know, when I could see Scotland, it's like, no, that's where I'm going. Um, you could have waited, though. I could have. I could have, but it was going to get um, more sharky, I guess. Uh, so the shark season really peaks around October. They, uh, they migrate there um, back at that time, and um, it's a main feeding area for yeah. great white sharks. Yeah. So it was just my one opportunity to do it. I guess I could have waited till the next year, yeah. but I... You know, when you train for something and you just, you're like this caged animal, yeah, you, you know, yeah. you're ready yeah. and you just want to get out there and do it. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of people that were very worried for me. Um, and I, you know, I had a film crew following me. So there's a documentary that's just uh, coming out next month at the Mill Valley Film Festival called Kim Swims. And they followed my journey, um, but I wasn't even really aware of them because you know, and I know they capture some really vulnerable moments, but you're just so focused on your goal. But I was so afraid. I think what I was most afraid of was not really the sharks. Uh, it was failure. I'd made this very, very public. There was a high risk of a shark attack. And so I took a lot of precautions so that if I didn't come back, that nobody could you know, hassle my crew and just say, well, you could have, according to the rules, you could have had a shark shield. Why didn't you use a shark shield? So I had a shark shield. I had two boats. One had a thermal imaging device. Um, and I swam between the two boats. Um, and I had, you know, had a trauma surgeon. The Coast Guard knew I was out there. Um, they had this whole procedure. If something went wrong, uh, I didn't want to know it. <laughs> um, so you had it all set up. Had it all set up. So it wasn't really a choice. I mean, in your mind, it was no, like, we and can't I, call this off. And then no. Mm. Um, but I, you know, and there were, um, you know, also issues as a woman, um, to be perfectly frank. Like, um, this might be TMI, but Avito said, you know, if you have your period, you're not doing that swim. Um, and thankfully, that all happened just before my swim. That was all done. Um, but these are things that people ask. They're like, well, as a woman, like, this is something to consider. And so I was also not going to tell them if I had it. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to do the swim. Yeah. And I also was, I was most worried about failure. I was most worried, you know, when I had, when we left the dock and we, it was about two and a half hours to travel out to the Farallons, you know, and it's pitch black. It's like, it's about nine o'clock at night. 
you know, and I, I go down to the V-berth at the bow of the boat and, um, you know, we have a tracker, a GPS tracker. The media knew about it. Everyone knew about it. And I thought, what if I get to the islands and I can't jump in that water? Like, how embarrassing is that going to be? That's what was going through my head, to be perfectly honest. And we got out to the islands and, I mean, we could have just been around the corner. You had no idea that you were at the Farallons because it was so dark and it was so quiet and we got there and then you just hear this this chorus of barking and it's the seals and the sea lions and, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's George. I saw him last week and, uh, you know, you just make light of, of this situation where there's just, everyone is just amped up. Um, and, you know, we, we didn't want to shine any bright lights because we didn't want to attract any large fish. So you're just out there. And, you know, I can hear the sort of the engine sort of, um, you know, because Vito's got the boat in neutral and then he shuts the boat off and it's like, okay, I've just got to prepare now. So my team, you know, I'm in my swimsuit already. It's got kiwi on the, on the butt <laughs> part of it. I, I always wear my New Zealand flag. I'm a very proud Kiwi, so I had my swim cap and, you know, my hands are shaking so much because the adrenaline is just going through my body. And then I'm standing there and they're like basting me like a turkey for Thanksgiving, putting lanolin all over my body. So I'm just standing there and they've got rubber gloves on and they're just putting this thick ointment on, um, sunscreen on because, you know, safety first, right? <laughs> um, Don't want to get a burn. No, yeah. no, yeah. no. Um, and then... You know, it was just about 11.15, and um, I, Vito's like, it's time. I'm like, shit. 11.15 at night? It's about 11.15 at night. It was a Friday night. Wow. Um, and I was sitting on the swim platform at the back of the boat. And I, I remember just sitting there, and I didn't want to put my toes in the water because I was like, I don't want to get bitten. You know, you're just sort of thinking, you're just like, I'm just going to keep my whole body on the swim platform for as long as possible. And... I didn't know, you know, when I jumped in that water, if I was going to be jumping in the mouth of a great white shark. It was rolling the dice of my life. Um, and I'm sitting on the platform and my mum pops her head over and she's like, well, hurry up then. And I'm like, mum, I'm having a moment. <laughs> I'm having a moment. But it was just, everyone was just like, look, we just got to get this, we just got to get in. And, and there's a sort of a, they call it sort of a, there's a five mile area, five mile radius of that, of those islands that is um, possibly the, the most dangerous part of the swim. So that was sort of also a consideration with me starting at the Farallon so that I'm fresh, I look strong, um, you know, I'm not flailing about, which I do at the end of my swims. I look like a gremlin on my last legs, crawling through the water. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I slipped into that water. And um, I was just thinking, oh, my God, I think I made too much noise getting in the water. Because I'm like, oh, I didn't want to make it. I didn't want to wake up any of the locals, um, if you know what I mean. It's so funny that you think of that. Yeah, and then I really needed to pee. And I was like, I can't pee because I don't want to, like, give off any idea that I'm in the water and maybe if they didn't hear me I don't want them to smell me and this is I mean perfectly frank this is what goes through my mind and then the water is so black but it's so clear and you know right from the beginning it was like mother nature was just like you go because 
the jellyfish were politely below the surface, three or four feet. They weren't even, they didn't even bother me. And yeah, and you just, you are just settling into this rhythm and um, it's sort of this choreography with the boat. So you don't want to get too close to the boat. You don't want to be too far away. And you're watching everyone. Um, I had little, they had little lights on so I knew who each person was. And I'm just focused the whole time. You know, I'm swimming on the starboard side, and and so Vito's at the helm, and he's on my left, and I'm just, and he's so focused on me, and I'm, that's like, it's like your lifeline. Yeah. Um. And you're so vulnerable out there, but it's just so. Even as I'm describing this to you, it just brings it all back. It's 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 exhilarating. And did the swim feel different than previous ones, or was it the actual swimming of it felt? like evolved as well felt. I think it was similar to a lot of my swims mm-hmm. um, but there was it was more that the just you know sharks were on my mind a lot of the time um, how do you overcome that ghost shark thing you know uh, like yeah. I think I felt something or yeah so I I'm sort of like an ostrich I put my head in the sand I I, I adjust my stroke so that I, I very rarely will I breathe to my right because that's this grand expanse out there and I know that I just don't want to see it coming. <laughs> so this is so I'll just I'll just breathe to my left. What you know? do you see when you breathe to your left? The boat. Okay. And it's like, okay, everything's fine. I mean you're just sort of in this little bubble and um, but I do think about the the fact that I'm in this water that's six, ten thousand feet deep and it's like there's this whole world underneath me and I w- nobody would have seen it coming if I was attacked by a shark because they they launch from below. But um, and I'd left everything in my life. I'd left all my banking passwords, everything uh, there in my apartment. I'd done my laundry. I was sort of ready to. I was ready to surrender, and that was what that swim was all about. And um, uh, and it, it it was this journey of. Um, I had, you know, I didn't do any of this alone in my team. They were encouraging me the whole time. My mum was just like, kick, 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 you know, like reminding me to kick more. You know, uh, my friend Melissa was just like, you got this. Like everyone was cheering me. Everyone was watching me. Everyone was focused on me. And How long a swim was it? 17 hours and 12 minutes. 17 hours and 12 minutes. Yeah, yeah. How and, did it feel at the end? Oh, well, I came, so Point Bonita is a few miles west of the Golden Gate Bridge. The Golden Gate Bridge was the, the finish line. Right. And I could see the bridge and, you know, when something's in the distance, it still sort of has this blue sort of hue, right? And I couldn't see that international orange that the the Golden Gate Bridge is so famous for. So I couldn't really, you know, I I knew where I was in relation to it, but I was most worried about, at that point, the current, the, the, the movement of the water changing. So we timed the swim. My jump was, was timed based on my speed so that when I was approaching the Golden Gate Bridge, I would be approaching it on an incoming flood. The moment you get an ebb, which is an outgoing movement of the water under the gate, um, it's such a narrow causeway, it's sort of just over a mile, um, so the water accelerates through there. So if I had hit the ebb, there was no way, even if I was like like 50 yards, there's no way I would have made it. So I, I remember panicking and I was like, you know, I'm not moving, the water's not moving, and so Vito brought me up a, a, towards this um, 
buoy so that I could see that I was actually moving with the water and my stroke. And then from that point, it was just tears, yeah. <laughs> absolute tears, because I knew that um, I was going to make it. Um, all these other boats had come out to um, to cheer me on, and um, yeah, I mean, you can, you, I, I mean, it brings it all back. You can see the bridge, and um, and then you, you know, you it makes me tear. This is so stupid. <laughs> Um, you're crossing underneath this bridge and the horns go off to tell me I've done it and I just sort of lay on my back and I looked up at the bridge and I was just like I did it and my buddy Matt a really good friend he jumps in he's like Kimbo and he jumps in and helps get me to the boat because they were so like okay we just got to get her on the boat and I'd been vomiting as well and they were a bit worried about me and uh, yeah, and they took me on the boat and the Tiburon Fire Department had um, boats out there where they had the, they sprayed um, these hoses. They do that for when, you know, dignitaries and special things happen in the bay. And uh, then I came back to the dock and there was just this throng of media and I wasn't even prepared for any of it. I don't even know what I said, but I, I came across semi-articulate and then I was, I was at the the yacht club and it's a really really fancy yacht club it's the San Francisco Yacht Club and I didn't want anyone to see me I was feeling a little bit wasn't feeling quite right and I really needed to to be sick and I think I threw up in their copier room sorry San Francisco <laughs> Yacht Club um, and I didn't want anyone to see me and so they took me out the back and um the firemen attended to me and they're like, you need to go to hospital. And I convinced them to drive me all the way back to my friends at CPMC. Yeah. They knew me. <laughs> there I was again, a repeat offender. Amazing. And uh, I just had four bags of IV fluids and I was sent home at midnight. But um, I came back to my apartment and my mum was staying with me. But everyone on my crew was like, well, she's in the hospital. She's going to be there a few days. Like, we'll just all go to bed and... Yeah. catch up with her at some point they didn't know that I was going to be discharged my phone had died so I get back to my apartment building my mum has the keys I she's asleep and I'm sitting on the stoop of my apartment building waiting for someone who lives in my building to come in and let me in and these two drunk people come by and I'm in my swimsuit covered in lanolin with my swim jacket on I look like a homeless person and they let me in the building and um I wake up my mom and she's like, oh, I thought you were going to be there for a while. And that was my farewell. What a, what a, what a triumphant way to end your day in your <laughs> swimsuit yeah. on the stoop of your yeah. apartment. Yeah. Waiting for somebody to let you in. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are the things from that swim that you continue to take with you? Or was that, was that for you kind of a, a major moment that, you know, was it a teaching moment? Was it a confidence thing? Like, what what has that given you that has fueled everything you've done since? You know, I was the first woman to do that swim, but that wasn't the motivation. Um, the motivation, first and foremost, has been that that is my sort of spiritual home. And I felt it was just sort of a validation of how accepted I had felt out there, um, that I had, had done this on my first try that I had, that nothing had happened to me. Um, 
it was just taking the sense of that was just to me that was living fully um, and I, I I still I'm still honestly processing it because I can't believe that you know when you set your mind and your body to a goal like that even when it scares you to the core that you're still willing to put yourself in that situation and not only put yourself in your situation but achieve that goal and I for me it's like well I just I want to see what else I can do I want to I'm not done but I think it, it, it does feel it feels different so with every one of these swims for me at least coming back it changes you in ways that you can't you just feel different and you connect with people on a different level you're looking to connect with people on a different level um, all the superficial stuff that happens in life you've really you realize you have no time for it um, so you're you're the, the people that you can relate to that group becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and it actually can become in some ways isolating right and it's not that I'm putting myself up on a pedestal it's just that I have had the great fortune of seeing perspective of the world experiencing a perspective of the world are you worried that you if you keep doing this you're going to just become more and more you know it's going to be more and more difficult for you to relate maybe maybe um but i feel like this is my path right i um you know as i said i'm working on some stuff right now and 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 that will again um transform me it already is transforming me the shark thing Yes. Um, in the Farallons uh, and every the jellyfish thing, you know all of the subsequent kind of brushes you've had with fearsome marine life. Um, does that not with hippos yet though? Not with hippos who are they're the, actually more they're dangerous killers. than sharks. Yeah, they yes. are. It, it, sharks just get a bad rap. Exactly. Okay. So maybe we can find a river in Africa for you to swim down. Race hippos. Yeah, race. The great the hippo annual, race. The great <laughs> annual. The great annual. The inaugural. There'll only be one. The inaugural. There will only be one. <laughs> um, is that, uh, does that embolden you? I mean, is it that you've survived all of this? Is that kind of a, is that a danger too? That you're just too confident at this point? Uh, that nothing's going to happen? No, it's more like, I got away with that. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not a confidence. It's, yeah. it's a... Um, it's a, an appreciation for how close you can go to that edge. I don't walk around with this confidence that like, yeah, I did that and I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah. Quite the opposite, actually. Yeah. Um, that water still terrifies me. Right. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I feel really, I feel like I kind of cheated death a few times. Right. And that makes me more motivated to literally suck the marrow out of my life because I when you experience life at that edge where you experience sort of life or death moments you can't for me personally I can't help but really have more appreciation for when things are wonderful like being in good health and being up not taking any day for granted because we live this sort of we have this false idea that our life on land is 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 predictable and that you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to have that day but you all we have is right now that's it that's all we have and so i think for me it, it's just made me appreciate more of what i have and realizing that my life is so rich 
it's so rich and it's filled with great riches which are these people in my life um, that that encourage me and support me and that's what life is all about it's not about making millions of dollars it's not about standing on a podium and getting a gold medal I have great respect for that but for me personally it's not about that um, so I every day I, I I'm just like wow this is a great day and I'm lucky to be here and I want to still push that though <laughs> I, I don't want to die. I don't yeah, want to die. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I. Yeah. I mean, I think you've lived your entire life that way. That's pretty. pretty yeah. Impressive. I don't know what's going to happen, and that's yeah. what's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know wh what twist or turn is going to happen next. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm, I'm on the ride, and I have a one-way ticket. Awesome, Kim. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> There you have it. There you have it. Truly, truly impressive woman. Um, shout out to Kim Chambers for taking so much time hanging out with us. Uh, and also to the South End Rowing Club for hosting us. Uh, check us out on our Facebook page. You'll find us under the Red Bull Podcast. We got that video content that I was talking about in the intro around Kim uh, swimming in the bay. Um, thanks to First Name James, the first name of podcasting, our engineer. Our producer is T. Rizza and associate producer Ryan the Turbo Thurban. And of course, this week, we had extra help from uh, content guru Nicole Don't Call Me Steve Buscemi and our Generation Z representative, Carly Stern. All right, this has been the Red Bull Podcast. Risk made me do it. I'm your host, Andreas Georges. In case you've forgotten, I'll see you next time. Love, love.